We are in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1 today. At that time, the disciples who came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. It's almost impossible to get the significance of that text this morning in our minds, the setting in which it was spoken by Jesus. But let me try again here to just lay that groundwork for you. We're walking chronologically through the life of Christ in the Gospels. We've come to now the third year of his ministry, the year of opposition. I've already said that in this year now, he turns his attention away from the crowds, for the most part, to the inner circle of the twelve. And he realizes, I've got a year left. I've got to, I've got to teach these disciples some things. And so it's really significant to listen in this, in this part of what we're doing. Because this is what he was giving to those closest to him. But here we find in this text, in the midst of him saying some things to him, to, to these disciples, particularly saying to them on two occasions up to this point, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer He must die and on the third day be raised. Twice. Twice he said that directly or something like that directly to his disciples. In fact, the the most recent, if you look in that text, if you're in your Bible this morning, is just a few verses up in verse 17. He says, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And even as they are leaving the setting of that, now headed to Capernaum. You don't find all of this in Matthew's Gospel, but you do find it in Mark's Gospel. If you turn over there to verse 33 of chapter 9, it says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? What were they discussing? They were discussing who was the greatest of the disciples. Now, just get the context of that. Let it sink in a minute. Jesus has just told them what's going to happen to him. And where are their thoughts? It's about them. It's about who is the greatest. But they're so embarrassed that they don't tell him. Now, later they ask the question, but they don't tell him that all the way on the journey now, they've been bickering back and forth about who is the greatest. Maybe it's because Peter, James, and John went up on the Mount of transfiguration. You understand your heart a little, don't you? You know your heart. I know my heart. Why them, Lord? Surely they must be the greatest. Why'd you leave me out? Do you see what's going on in their hearts? See what's happening? That's the setting. That's, that's the context now, the broader context of, of what's being said here. But what I want us to notice this morning is Jesus' response to all of that. What I want us to catch is what he does. And what he does 
in the midst of that text is he just calls for a child. As if we were in the congregation. If one of our children were still here, he just, just has the child come up and stand in the midst of them after they've asked the question, who's the greatest? And he uses that child as an object lesson to teach some things. To teach some lessons on greatness in the kingdom. That's what we want to look at this morning. Just some observations. What did he say in response to their question? He knew their hearts. When he asked them what they were discussing, he knew. But he takes it as a moment to teach. And he teaches by bringing a child into their midst and setting him there. Look at what it says. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The child that he had right in the midst of them. Now, the first observation I see here in the text is he didn't poo-poo greatness. He didn't say you should never talk about greatness. He didn't even say you shouldn't have visions of greatness. That's not what he said. Because he goes down there in verse 4 and he says, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. If he were poo-pooing greatness per se, totally, he wouldn't have said that. He's still, he's still talking about greatness. So it's not, the, it's not greatness that's the problem. It's the pursuit of that greatness. And that's what I see in the text. That's what I see him teaching. Doesn't fault them for seeking it, but he faults them for seeking it in the wrong place and using the wrong measurement to measure it. Pursuing true greatness and true significance is not wrong. Rather, pursue it correctly. I think the way it gets corrupted is like this. It, it, the problem is the corruption of it. And the problem is this. It, it isn't seeking to be great that's the problem. It's, it's seeking to be known as great. To be known as great. Or to be greater than someone else. That's where it gets corrupted. To be known as great, to make that your, your pur- purpose, to just be known as great in itself. Or to want to be great so that somebody else can be less. That's where it gets corrupted, I think. That's what Jesus, I think, in this text comes against. One has said it this way. True greatness is not wanting to be first while others are second, third, or fourth. But true greatness is a willingness to be last. And true greatness is not positioning yourself so that others praise you. But true greatness is putting yourself in a position to serve everyone. To be a blessing to as many as possible. You see, he, he, he turned upside down their measurement of greatness. Mark 9.35, the text that we were in over there. This is what he says a little later in that passage when it says they were discussing as they were coming into Capernaum. You know, and were afraid to tell him. A little later he says, if anyone would be first... I, I think you could say if anyone would be first truly great, if anybody would be first truly great, he must be last of all and servant of all. And who are the all? I think it goes right back to this child. That's why he brought the child in. When he's talking about the all, servant of all. I think that goes back to focus on the child. 
because that's what the object lessons. This is, this is the definition of the all that I'm talking about. Being a servant of all. This child represents that. That's why he had the child there. So the first thing is he doesn't poo-poo greatness in itself. He just doesn't like the way they measure it. Secondly, this. True greatness comes in discovering childlike humility. It says in the text, if you go back to Matthew, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. So it, it has to do with childlike humility. Now, I hope that you stop for a minute. If you're a parent, you probably do faster than somebody who doesn't have children. What does he mean? Children are not humble. They're not humble in one sense. Isn't that true? I, uh, they, uh, they are selfish, aren't they? I think all of us can qualify for having children that are like that. Selfish. Um, demanding at times. When they're hungry, they're hungry. They're demanding. And in general, the world revolves around them. I mean, that's true. I just, just last night, we were at our house. We were discussing some things about children and things that have been said by children. And, and my wife piped up, and it's, some of you, you, the couple here is probably in the congregation that told us this. But they said one time they were traveling. They are in the congregation. In fact, I could, I could call them out, but I won't. They were going down the road, and, and their children were, I think, in the back seat. And one of the child said to the other child, you're looking out my window. <laughs> Isn't that a good description of children? That's because we were children once. We were all there. Children are not... What's he mean? Do Do you do that with the text? You say, what in the world do you mean as children? Their world revolves around them. Now, part of training them is to teach them that it doesn't revolve around them. It's part of the commitment you make here. To to train them up so they realize the world does not revolve around them. But left to themselves... That's the way it is. So what does he mean when he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest? In what way is he viewing humility in this child that he wants us to emulate? I mean, that's really what we need to dig out of this or we're going to get it wrong. And I think what he means is they're helpless. Children are helpless. Definition of these infants here. They're helpless in lots of ways. I mean, they're helpless. They're dependent on their parents for what they need. They're dependent on their parents to provide food and clothing and shelter and all of those kinds of things. And when they're small, they don't try to escape that. They like somebody taking care of them. They like being dependent. It's just the nature of how they live. Just this week, we had opportunity to have two of our grandchildren with us. And one day I just was looking at Maddie, our oldest granddaughter, and I was just thinking, I, I, I had a longing in my heart. I just had a longing in my heart. It'd be nice to be her. All this stuff I'm fretting about right now, I mean, she doesn't have a fret in the world. Her parents are going to take care of her. They're going to watch over her. She, her, her. Her world of fretting is pretty small. And I just had a longing for a minute. Ah, oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? You, you understand what I mean if you're an adult, don't you? You just could go back there and let somebody else care for you. I think that's the sense 
of what it means when it talks about being humble like a child. That, that whole idea of, of dependency. The whole idea that, that they sleep while others fret. Look at a child in a stroller. I mean, the whole, the whole scene can be chaotic. Everybody can be tense around them and they just sleep away. They don't, they don't care about the tenseness. They don't sense it. They aren't tense. They're just, somebody's going to take care of them. They're in a comfortable place. I think that's what it means when he says, whoever humbles himself like a child who realizes, who realizes how needy we are. We can have a visions, as I said in my Sunday school class, that we're somehow in control, but we're not. We are a needy people. The very next beat of your heart will only come because it's provided. That's the kind of humility I think Jesus is talking about. The humility of realizing where we should boast. Realizing where our real help comes from. From Him. And ultimately our salvation. That's where it begins, isn't it? Our salvation is in Him. In all that Christ. We couldn't save ourselves. None of you can save yourself. Your only hope is the perfect righteousness of Christ outside of you. An alien righteousness that's given to you. We can talk more about that at another time. But the whole humble acknowledgement, whole humble acknowledgement of how helpless I am except for God. That's what I think it means here. Understanding that is, is the seeds of greatness in life. And then thirdly, True greatness. This is, this is a thing that was really helpful. It's providential that we came to this text. I didn't superimpose this text. I'm just walking through chronologically. This text came at the same day that we had these children here at this altar. But true greatness rests in those who see and minister to the helpless. That's what I think this text. I think that's what Jesus is saying here when he goes on to say, whoever re- receives one such child in my name receives me. He's talking about receiving these children. And what do these children represent? They represent helplessness. Receiving the helpless. Receiving those who are the least of these. And he's using the child as an illustration of that. They are helpless. And to go after the helpless. Now what does that have to do with greatness? It has to do with the fact that most greatness that has been corrupted has to do with payback, doesn't it? There's a payback kind of thing in corrupted greatness. But children can give you no payback. They're not the powerful of the world. They're not the ones who who, uh, can, can provide things for you. Rather, you provide for them. That picture. That's the picture. There's, there's nothing in it for you. That's true greatness. When we minister to those and we receive those who, who there's no payback for, the least of these. I think this would be a good test. Maybe it's a test we ought to instigate. I think the test of spiritual fitness for ministry lies here. I think the secret for it lies here. And that is how one relates to children. I think that's what Jesus is teaching. Spiritual fitness for ministry. 
is how do you relate to children? Now, that doesn't mean your gift has to be teaching and all of that. Don't take that too far. But how do you relate to children? Do you recognize them? Do you acknowledge them? Do you see them? Or is your agenda just run right over the top because there's no payback? There's no payback. How do you relate to children? Find somebody who relates to children, who receives children. And you have a major qualifier in regards to spiritual fitness for ministry. It's interesting in this text. I want you to see this. It says this, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now, we're going to come back to this in a minute at the close. But just keep that in mind. To receive a child is to receive Christ in some sense, in a more full way. We'll come back. There's something I want us to note here, though, as we apply this this morning now. I want to make application, and then we're going to be done this morning. He's talking about that the disciples are, are quabbling over who's the greatest. So it, this text is about greatness. He doesn't poo-poo greatness. Greatness is important. So I want you to extrapolate that now to the broader context of the church in light of what we did this morning. Okay? What, what does true greatness look like for a church? I think it's the same thing. How do we relate to children? I, I, part of it's because I've been here for 32 years. This is my life. Been here longer than any place else. So I think often, I think often questions, Why? Why does this church continue to exist after a hundred years located where we're at? Why? This, this text helps me. I, I haven't come to all the conclusions of that. I, I, one conclusion I know, God, his, his grace, His mercy. But as you break that down a little bit, why? This text really helped me this week. I, I think it has to do with children, some when I first came here, this, this is when we came here 32 or so years ago, we came in July, July 4th. VBS had not yet happened. And, and that it be for one person, it would not have happened. I still remember, I still remember coming to look at the parsonage. And that pastor obviously was leaving, so they weren't going to do it because they were leaving as we were But I remember, I remember seeing some as I remember seeing some material, I think this probably was when we were candidating, seeing some material there. They were still there in the parsonage. And, and then I remember hearing the word of Joy Palmer. That Joy just was committed to have VBS, even if there was a pastoral change. She was still going to have it. And, and it happened. Now, that's not a, not a big thing necessarily, but it is, I think. One of the things that happens to me, even when we were building this building, a number of times I would run into people. I'd run into people who were working on the building saying, I came to church here once. I came to this church as a child. I remember it. More than once that happened. I think one of the reasons that God is chosen by His grace and mercy is because of the reception of children. Don't take that lightly. Don't take it lightly. The other part of that is a, is a point that you need to make. It, it doesn't mean that 
this, this receiving of children is without qualification. You see the qualification that text receives children what? In my name. The second thing, the gospel. The second thing is planting the gospel in their hearts. The gospel. The centrality of the cross. The fact that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer and he must die and on the third day be raised so that he could provide that spotless righteousness for us. All that the gospel is. It isn't just receiving children. You can, you can receive children and give them nothing of any eternal value. But to receive children and to pray that their eyes, as they made these commitments this morning, pray that their eyes would be open to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. I believe that causes God to smile. He is pleased with that. He's pleased with that. When we receive children, it's why he used the illustration. The least of these. I, I had come to the conclusion before I got to this text that part of, part of ministry, part of what causes God to continue to, to work in congregations is, is a commitment to the least of these. Places that, you know, don't get everything right. Nobody gets it all right. You understand. Nobody crosses all the T's and gets all the I's right. I don't mean to say we do it all anyway. But places that really get it, a lot of it wrong. It seems to me, ministering to the least of these with the gospel, God, God seems to do things in those congregations. So I say to you this. I want to close with this this morning. I told you I was going to come back to it. Greatness, I think, collectively, has to do with children. I think receiving children, receiving them, in the name of Christ, is incredibly important. It, it makes me be recommitted to that here at Richland. I think about children that we receive like that. I, I think about people, that, I'm not even going to say the name, but a little boy I'm thinking about that came to the hayride last Wednesday night all by himself. I remember I, I got with him after the hayride. He came on one of our vans to the hayride. And I started to visit with him. And he told me about all the people he wanted to come with him and nobody could come. I mean, parents, cousins, friends, everybody, enemies. I mean, he would have brought anybody with him if they had come. But nobody could come as he told me the story. And besides that, I, w- I, I wish I'd have saw him sooner, but he had a coat on. He was freezing. I mean, he was just literally shivering, freezing. Had some hot cocoa in his hand. We got him kind of bundled up. He's the same boy who, when we had VBS, somehow, I I don't know how it happened, but somehow he didn't get the message about when it was starting, or he got it and, and because nobody's helping him didn't figure out it. this was the week. I'm not sure what happened. But he, he ended up showing up about Wednesday or Thursday. And I remember looking at that little boy and seeing the disappointment in his face of what he had missed. I mean, he was just so sad that he had missed the first two or three days. I believe God wants us as a congregation to receive children. Now, now let me close with this. This is what I want to close with because it says, if you receive children, you in sense receive me. What does he mean by that? You receive children, you receive me. It seems this could be the application of that. It seems that this is what it would be. That the place 
that is more full of God right now than anywhere else is right on the other side of that wall over there. Right in that nursery over there where those nursery workers are changing dirty diapers to the glory of God. Isn't that what the text says? As you receive children, there's more of the presence of God in that somehow. You receive me. Or on Wednesday nights in those clubhouse rooms when it's chaotic there at times. God is there in ways that are powerful. God help us. God help us to receive children, to receive the least of these as we ought to as a congregation, to, to recommit ourselves to that end because I think it's biblical. But not just receive them, but giving something to them when we receive them. Giving them the gospel. I've told this story before and I close with it this morning. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in the church. I came to Christ in my senior year of high school at a Youth for Christ conference when the invitation was given in my high school auditorium. But I am convinced that my, my eyes were opened in, in such a way that I was ready long before that. But nobody was there to receive me. Nobody was there to receive me. Nobody was there to lift up and magnify Christ. Oh God, help us. Help us to receive children and give them the gospel. Let's stand and sing.
for for children. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to receive them as a collective body the way we should. Let us never get beyond that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed this morning.